Thanks for joining A&M Alumni, a podcast series featuring Alvarez and Marcel alumni discussing their experiences. On this episode of A&M Alumni, alumna Sonia Sufi sits down with us. I am your host, Candace Crystal. Sonia is a former associate with Alvarez and Marcel's Financial Industry Advisory Services. She was with the firm from 2008 to 2015. She is currently the Chief Executive Officer of the Citizens Foundation, a professionally managed nonprofit organization set up in 1995 by a group of citizens who wanted to bring about positive social change through education. The Citizens Foundation is now one of Pakistan's leading organizations in the field of education for the less privileged. Sonia, you've had an amazing career trajectory. To what do you credit your success? Growing up, my father always told me to try and put myself in other people's shoes before making a judgment. I think that advice has really guided me through my life and really helped me in the way I connect and work with people. I have also tried to pursue what I'm innately passionate about. I think this is so important because if you do something you genuinely love, it stops feeling like work. Uh, At the same time, it's important to know when something stops working for you and uh, when to let go, Uh, whether it's a business opportunity or relationship, a specific environment. I think being surrounded by people who challenge you, inspire you, and really believe in you is also really important. Uh, The support I have received from my parents, my husband, and my mentors has really guided me, particularly when I've been making challenging decisions in my life. Uh, when I was offered the role of CEO at TCF, I, you know, I, I was really nervous. I wasn't sure if it was the right time. I wasn't sure if I would rise up to the challenge. And the fact that my family really stood by me and, you know, talked me through it, uh, my trustee at TCF, who I work really closely with, uh, spent a lot of time with me. Uh, you know, talking about my fears and, and what was holding me back. I think that re- that is something I really valued, and I think it really pushed me to take on this role. Uh, so I think I've been very lucky to be surrounded by amazing, amazing people who've really helped me to get to this point. What makes A&M special? Why did you choose to invest your time and energy in A&M? I know this will sound very cliched, but I think it's it's honestly the leadership and the culture at AM. Uh AM really operates like a family. I recently came across a talk by Simon Sinek uh, where he said when employees feel safe and protected by their leaders, they are naturally inclined to trust and do well. Uh, I think that's so true of AM's culture uh, and leadership and something I think I always took for granted while I was working there. I remember two m- months after I joined AM, I had to go back to Pakistan to reapply for my work permit. It took nearly a year for the permit to come through when I was stuck in Pakistan the entire time. And there were so many times I just thought, you know, AM would let me go, but that just never came up for an organization to invest so much time and energy in one individual. That's really something special. 
and I think my own career path at A&M tells you something about the culture there. I started in operations in an internal role, landed in FIAS in a client-facing role within three years. It just goes to show the synergy between all business units and how quickly A&M recognizes and rewards talent. Did you have a mentor at A&M? Honor Smith when I worked in operations and Eric Cloutier when I joined the FIAS practice. Uh, both took a risk with me seeing as I had no experience in either field when uh, they took me on and I learned so much from both. Uh, I think along with that I was really lucky to work with some brilliant people like Peter Briggs, Balkan Raid, Harish Kumar and Hassan Noor who were all brutally honest, hardworking, um, encouraging. My last project at AM was one of my favorites because Hassan really trusted me a lot with um, the level of responsibility and ownership um, that I was given. And I think I learned so much within those nine months about team management. I had to manage a team of about 30 to 40 uh, people, you know, improve. Um, improved performance of an entire business unit. I was reporting to senior management. It was fantastic. And, you know, it's because of the people that I worked with that, that, that really took a risk with me and pushed me to do well. You quickly rose in the ranks at the Citizens Foundation's UK chapter to become the chief executive officer. Can you tell us a bit more about the organization and how it's run? Uh, so TCF UK was founded in 2001 as the fundraising arm of the Citizens Foundation, which, as you mentioned, is Pakistan's leading education charity. Uh, so TCF in Pakistan uh, runs, to quote The Economist, the, perhaps the largest network of independently run schools in the world. So we manage over 1,500 schools across Pakistan with over a quarter of a million ch children enrolled in our schools, 50% of which are girls. And this is an incredible achievement given the areas in which we operate, which tend to be afflicted with deep gender disparities. Um, one of the reasons we've managed to achieve 50-50 enrollment is because we hire an exclusively female faculty. So not only does it give uh, you know women a very prominent role in their society but it also makes parents feel safe about sending their 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 girls to school in the uk our primary purpose is to help raise funds to support tcf's educational programs in pakistan so we're a really small team here where there are about five of us we're headquartered in london we are a registered charity in the uk we report to a board of trustees um, we have also recently set up an advisory committee and we're actively seeking members particularly women to join our committee and to help raise DCF's profile in the UK. What are you seeing now in Pakistan's education sector based on your role with the foundation? I think there is this amazing scope for private public partnerships in enabling access to education and improving quality of education delivery across Pakistan in 2016, we adopted over 200 underperforming government schools in Punjab and hired our own teachers, upgraded the infrastructure, and really converted the schools into safe, comfortable spaces for children to learn. The result was overwhelmingly positive. Enrollment levels went up from 36 to 115 students per school. You know, learning outcomes improved dramatically. So 
I think that if we continue to combine government resources and budget with the skills and expertise that NGOs and other private sector agencies bring, it can really improve both access and quality of education delivery in Pakistan. Even now with the COVID-19 situation, the government is relying heavily on social entrepreneurs and NGOs to deliver distance learning to millions of children who are currently out of school due to the lockdown. If you could change one thing about the education system in Pakistan, what would that be? I think the one big thing would be the national curriculum. It's very dated and academic in its approach. It really does not consider a child's cognitive abilities. You know, children process information in such a different way. They need to be engaged or they just lose interest. And um, TCF has developed this play-based curriculum that is actually fantastic. It cuts textbook time by half. It really nurtures the child's curiosity. Uh, I visited a school where they were experimenting with this curriculum, and it was incredible to see how engaged the students were, how, how confidently they asked questions. They were wondering why they do things rather than just simply having to do them without question, which is very much, you know, the, the curriculum and the method of, of, of education delivery in Pakistan. Um, you know, I, I, I saw a yoga class of, you know, for five-year-olds, and, and the teacher was explaining each pose and the benefits of each pose. They were doing breathing exercises, and I just think, gosh, if I, if someone had taught me that when I was that young, you know, I think it would help me handle stress better. Um, so I think, I think that um, there is, uh, there is so much about the curriculum that we can change, and I think that'll really impact the way children learn, and I think it'll really improve learning outcomes in education, which are really dismal at the moment in Pakistan. Um, so, you know, with with our with with the program that I just 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 mentioned, you we received before COVID nineteen, we'd received a very generous grant to scale this across across Sindh. Um And I'm hopeful that you know once we come out of this situation, that we can that, that this can actually become a reality, and the curriculum can be revised across Pakistan. What insights do you see into the future of Pakistan's education system? Uh, I think our education system is evolving, perhaps not as quickly as it should be, but we're seeing incremental changes. Uh, there is, as I mentioned, a lot of scope for public-private partnership in education delivery. We are already working very closely with the government on educational reforms in Pakistan. Um, so I have hope that we will continue to see positive shift in the education sector. There's also a lot of conversation now about use of mother tongue in early childhood education. That's really interesting because in Pakistan, the media of, of instruction tends to be English, but teachers and students often cannot speak English fluently. So how can a teacher be expected to teach effectively if they find communicating and expressing ideas difficult? So it's a huge challenge, and I think increasingly people are buying into the idea that children must learn in the language of their homes, uh, what they're familiar with, and there are so many different languages that are spoken in Pakistan. So I think there is a challenge there, but I think the fact that we are talking about this and government, the government is more accepting of it is a huge step forward, and I think it'll have a phenomenal impact on education delivery.
How has COVID-19 impacted the foundation's mission? The COVID-19 outbreak has perhaps altered our focus slightly, but it's not impacted our mission. We still remain very focused on enabling access to education, but you know we've shifted gears slightly on that front. So to give you a bit of a background, we spent the first 15 years uh, building and operating schools and the last 10 years upgrading the quality of education delivery. And a huge part of that was developing curriculum that is really child-centered. It's interactive, it enables children to learn, question, really enjoy the education process. So like the play-based curriculum that I mentioned earlier, it's so timely that we've developed this especially when we're focusing on distance learning now because of school lockdowns, uh, school closures because of the lockdown. So distance learning is naturally very hard to deliver in the first place and you have to really find a way to engage a child and retain their attention. So this has become more relevant now because the government of Pakistan has launched a teleschool channel which airs eight hours a day. But again, the curriculum is very academic. It's divided into slots for each age group. And, um, you know, I think it, children will struggle to stay engaged. Um, and the exciting bit is that we are now able to kind of foray into distance learning and we are launching our own program on this channel. And it's a very dedicated production. It adapts play-based learning. It starts with exercise segments, then a storytelling segment and so on. Um, and, you know, we've seen that children, if they love something, you know, they want to do it again and again. So that's the concept that's really motivated this development. Uh, the focus is on making children want to tune in every Sunday and learn. Um, so I think that whereas before we were perhaps thinking about a TCF student, we are now thinking about every single child in Pakistan that cannot go to school. Um, aside from that, we are doing everything we can to, you know, re continue to retain our, and engage our teachers and principals so that they return to school. So once this situation is over, and I hope it will be very soon, children can return to school and resume lessons in the same environment. We're also focusing on, you know, doing some remedial work for the kids because they, when they come back to school, you know, there's going to be a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, so I think that, you know, in the short term, really, we're, we're doing things that will, will help ensure that children continue learning and will also help ensure that children are ready to come back to school and the schools are ready and functioning when, when you know, the lockdown is over and schools are able to resume. But I think in the long term, our mission stays the same. We will continue to do what we can to ensure that every child in Pakistan has access to quality education. What advice would you give to the next generation of female leaders? I would tell them to be their own champions. I don't think I was not a very good champion of myself, and I think I think that's so important. Uh, I think I think also women make great leaders. So I think that if women um, really push themselves and champion themselves, they will get ahead and, and they will be incredible leaders. We see that now with, with this whole COVID-19 situation. Um, the countries that are doing phenomenally well are the ones that are being led by women because women are naturally compassionate, empathetic be people, uh, beings. And 
I think that's so important in leadership. And I think women all over the world are redefining leadership. So I would say, I would tell um, the next generation to really believe in themselves and their abilities um, and, and really push for what they want um, and express and fight for what they believe in. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure to speak to you today, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you so much.